Hello and welcome. How are you? It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you would like to be a part of this here program. So, question, uh, it, it is afternoon. It's been a week. Can we, like, do an open container day or something <laughs> instead of an open line day? <laughs> I've got coffee. I swear, all I've got is coffee. For now, it really has, the, the week just seems like it has dragged by. It certainly has for the Democrats. My goodness gracious. Have y'all heard the story? Oof. About a month and a half ago, Joe Biden declared this, uh, I mean, he was roundly ridiculed even by Democrats. Uh, Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, was critical. And the statement was that this would be a winter of death. That's what they said. It would be a winter of death. That was their claim. They kind of stuck to it. A winter of death. And I, 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 I got some theorizing. My, my theory here is, well, they're starting to realize the winter of death may not actually be the winter of death they were thinking. In fact, the sounds you hear are the warning sirens going off at the Democratic National Committee. The CNN poll has come out, y'all, and it's not good for anybody in the Democratic Party. In fact, uh, if you if you text the word data to 33777, uh, you'll see a picture in my morning piece. You'll get, a, you'll get a link to my daily Substack. You should all be subscribers anyway. A lot of the stuff I see now, you don't even have to pay for. It's just free. Today, totally free. I want everyone to see the picture that shows the scientific data that has changed the Democrats' view on math. I put it in my morning piece. You text data to 33777. You can see the piece. The scientific data that has changed the Democrats' view of masking is the generic congressional ballot. The Republicans are up four points. Now, keep in mind that in the history of the generic ballot, you tend to have to add about three to five points when the Republicans are up. When the Repu- when the Democrats are up, you tend to be- have to add two points to the Republican side. When the Republicans are up, you tend to have to add three to five points because there is a bias in the generic balloting towards the Democrats. And when the Republicans are in charge, there tends to be a bigger wave. And holy cow. The Republicans are at four points, which means they're probably between seven and nine point favorites to take back Congress. There is your scientific data for why they've changed masks. And now the CNN data. Now, you got to pay attention to this because this is the headline at CNN. 
most Biden detractors say he's done nothing they like since becoming president. Oh, it's worse than that. I mean, if anything, the headline mitigates the problem. What are Biden's detractors? <laughs> Y'all, this is the CNN poll. Six in 10 Americans. Those are Joe Biden's detractors. Six out of every 10 Americans. You line up 10 of your friends, six of them hate Joe Biden. Nearly six in 10 Americans disapprove of how Joe Biden is handling his presidency, with most of that group saying there's literally nothing Biden has done since taking office that they approve of. The finding from a CNN poll conducted by SSRS highlights the entrenched politics driving the nation at the start of the midterm year with little agreement across party lines or on priorities for the government or how to handle the pandemic. The president's ratings have fallen across the board. Just 41% approve of how he's handled his job. 58% disapprove. Just 36% of independents and 9% of Republicans approve. Although his approval rating still stood at 83% among Democrats, that was down from 94% last summer. He continues to have strong detractors, more strong detractors than he does fervent supporters. 41% of Americans disapprove strongly of his performance versus 15 who strongly approve. Some of the shift in Biden's numbers come from a change in Americans' partisan tilt. Republicans and Democrats were about at parity in the new poll, with fewer identifying as Democrats than in other recent CNN polls. When those who disapproved of Biden's overall performance were asked to name a single thing he had done that they approved of, 56% said nothing. One survey respondent wrote, quote, I'm hard-pressed to think of a single thing he's done that benefited the country. Only 26% could find nothing negative to say. Now, here is more of the problem. Fewer than half of Democrats strongly approve of Joe Biden's performance. So Democrats and Republicans, they approve of their presidents, but how many strongly approve? You know, in, in the approval index, if you somewhat approve, that gets lumped in with approval. So Joe Biden has 83% approval among Democrats. But in January, only 37% of Democrats and Democratic leaders strongly approved. Donald Trump's strong approval rating never got below 60%. At one low point, I take that back, in one low point after January 6th, it got down to 44%. Still not as low as where Joe Biden is with Democrats. It turns out that the winter of death is still on. It's just been postponed for November 8th at the election machines and the ballot boxes. The voters themselves will hand Democrats their winter of death. The voters are going to annihilate the Democrats. 
That is why so many of them are scrambling right now to get rid of masks and go back to normal as quickly as possible. It has everything to do with the polling and nothing to do with the science. And here's part of the problem the Democrats have. Let let me just play this one out for you so you understand what the Democrats are dealing with right now. Joe Biden was the only Democrat any poll ever showed who could beat Donald Trump. So the Democrats went with him. It turns out Joe Biden was also the only Democrat who could keep the Democratic Party together. The moderates thought he was on their side. The progressives thought they could deal with him. So he gets into office and he goes left. He goes hard left. Spending massive new government entitlement programs, everything the, the, the left wanted, the Green New Deal, the like, Biden goes for it. He's surrounded in, in the West Wing with a bunch of progressives and they want to give the progressives everything they wanted. And that has alienated the moderates. Biden can't pivot to the middle now. If Joe Biden pivots to the middle, and by the way, he's got to pivot to the middle to save the Democrats. But if he pivots to the middle, the progressives will go to war in primaries. And they will begin primarying moderate Democrats. They will take it out on the moderate Democrats. And in doing that, they will spend, the Democrats will spend, all the money they need to ward off a Republican advance defending the establishment elected Democrats. So if he goes to the middle, he gets all-out war from his left side. If he doesn't, his right side gets destroyed. There's, There's no way for Joe Biden at this point to navigate this and save the Democrats in November. He's got to pivot to the middle to save himself with the public. But if he pivots to the middle to save himself with the public, he wipes out the Democrats in Congress. If he doesn't pivot to the center to save himself with the Democrat with the with the public, he wipes out the Democrats in Congress. He's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't, and it's a catch twenty two he put himself in. Nobody had to nobody did this to Joe Biden except for him and Ron Klain. It was terrible politics to go to your far left. Now, th- this is just a matter of political expediency for a president of the United States. You are president of 350, 330 to 350 million people. If you stake out the center ground, you've got what? 175 million to the left of you. 175 million to the right of you, and it gives you wiggle room. When you stake out the far left, you've got 300 million people to the right of you and only 30 million people to the uh, on the left side of you. You've alienated 300 of the 330 million Americans by being so far left. But what happens when you come back to the center? Well, those 30 million become 40, become 50, become 60. The further you move to the center, you got all these people left and they become furious with you for betraying them, from walking away from them. And the further to the right you go, the more they get furious. But if you don't go further to the right, you've still got the majority on the right side and they're going to come for you. It's the politics of coalition building, and he's failed. But now there's something else that's happening, and this is just as bad. 
For two years, progressives have lived in a Karen-induced panic over masks and the virus. We've seen all of the short-haired, bad, blonde-dye-jobbed Karens at the local Walmart yelling at their fellow Walmart shoppers to put their masks on. We've seen the women with the Kennesaw claws and their upturned front bangs demanding that people comply with them or they will put them on the internet and make them famous. They live in abject fear of the virus. They do. They're scared of it. The people, I mean, all the polling, the Pew poll, the CNN poll, all the polling shows, the people who have taken the most precautions against the virus tend to be the people most scared of the virus, even though they're the ones least likely to get the virus. You had your your double vaccine. You've had your booster shot. You wear your N95 mask or your full body condom, whatever. You're not going to get the, the virus, more likely than not, and you live in perpetual fear of the virus. And here come your politicians who you have championed, who made everybody wear masks, see the polling data, say, ah, everybody get out of masks, get out of masks right now, go back to work. All the offices, open back up. Everybody, go back to work. All you schools, go back to work. Get all the kids out of masks. Everybody, back to normal, back to normal, back to normal. Hurry, 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 hurry. And these progressives are thinking, wait a second. Two weeks ago, Lena Wynn was on CNN telling us we got a mask until at least May. And now suddenly she says in two weeks, well, the risk factors have changed. The science has changed. And now the, the risk relationship has changed. In two weeks? The data and the science have not changed since we started getting the vaccine a year ago. And you all have doubled down on masks. You tripled down. Two weeks ago, Democratic governors were insisting people would have to be in masks until March, April, or May. And then all of this data comes out, and the Republicans are suddenly at a four-point lead in the generic ballot in a two-week period. They've skyrocketed in two weeks to a four-point lead. The public is turning vigorously against Joe Biden. You've got inflation off the charts. You've got the mask issue. You've got Republicans suddenly dominant on the generic ballot, and then suddenly they're like, oh, back to normal. Everybody back to normal. Everybody back to normal. But two weeks ago, you were reaffirming progressives that their fears were real. So now you've got all of these progressive Karens out there who are furious with you for clearly putting the polling ahead of the science. In their minds, at least. How are they so bad at this? This is just terrible politics. The problem here is that they're playing checkers instead of chess. And they're even playing checkers badly. Every politician in America who is competent, who is good, who, who has foresight, understands you got to be two or three steps ahead of the game, know where the game is headed, and get there. It's, it's the Wayne Gretzky line, skate to where the puck is going. The Democrats and the Republicans have always had this knack to be able to skate to where the puck is going, to arrange the chess pieces on the board to be in a better hand when the pieces are then moved. The Democrats aren't doing that. They have set this entire thing up for people to live in fear, by fear, of fear. 
and have them in charge and they've got they've lost control of it they've lost the plot they've lost control of the entire story and now it's coming for them a red wave is building a tsunami is coming as long as republicans show up and vote they're going to do well in november all the polling shows it and suddenly the democrats are freaked out and in their freak out and in their scramble they're further alienating the very base they need to show up and mitigate the coming wave i would like to again make my plea to the Federal Aviation Administration, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Biden administration. Get rid of the masks in airports and airplanes now, please. Now, Biden went on television last night with Lester Holt and said, uh, we actually need to keep the masks going. He is well behind where even the Democratic governors are at this point. But the CDC now says the cloth masks everyone wears don't do any good anymore, if they ever did, with the covid virus. The particulate in which they spread is so fine at this point through their series of mutations that it, it the masks aren't going to stop them. They're not mandating N95 masks on airlines, but so the FAA is telling you to wear the mask. The CDC says doesn't do any good unless you want to hold a drink in your hand. If you want to hold a drink or peanuts in your hand, you can take your mask off. And apparently the virus doesn't bother anyone as long as you have something in your hand. It's all theater at this point. The HEPA air filtration and airflow systems on airplanes is so good. Even before they mandated masks, we weren't getting super spreader events. And now you can keep your mask off the entire time, be asymptomatic, infected, have a drink in your hand, and we're still not getting spread. And the science says people who are masked but unvaccinated uh, stand no chance against the, vac- the, 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 the infected who aren't masked. It's time to let go of the masks on planes. Also, by the way, it's time for you to go to OmahaSteaks.com and get their tremendous savings right now. Uh, I'm going to do this for you. Go to OmahaSteaks.com. I'm not going to buy it for you, though, but OmahaSteaks.com. You will see the search bar at the top. If you're on mobile, click the magnifying glass and put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, and it will take you to their incredible package, the Omaha Sampler. Get this four filet mignons, four boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, eight gourmet jumbo franks, a pack of their meatballs, four caramel apple tartlets, the Omaha seasoning burgers, and you get 12 Omaha steak burgers for free. 12 burgers for free. It's an incredible value right now at Omaha Steaks. You save over 50% at omahasteaks.com. Go for the Omaha Steaks sampler. Get the filets. Get the 12 burgers for free. Get the chicken. Get the pork chops. You can even get the game day package with chicken fingers and Philly cheesesteak and artisan flatbread and so much more. OmahaSteaks.com. Put Eric in the search bar. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Waiting very patiently is Dr. Lewis. Welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, so, uh, Eric Erickson, I would like to say that uh, I listen to you a lot, and you are a very brilliant person. Um, I don't know if I agree about it. I told you this about a year ago. <laughs> however, 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 I think that you are um, a person that, that has a lot of insight. So, as I was telling the people that I had to talk to before I got to you, the question I would ask for you mm-hmm. right now live would be, no left, no right. How do we get this thing together? Because <laughs> you know as well, hey, you know as well as I do, 
You can go to any station. You can go to social media. You can go to anything, and everything's going to spin a certain thing to make their arguments seem stronger to get, you know, to people listening. However, one of your points is, like, you know, about I know that you love America, and I know that you really want to see the best for people. So how do we do this in a way that is not so divisive but that we're really listening to people. You know what I mean? Because I yep. teach classes. I teach uh, classes right now that I know are very, <laughs> I mean, I teach sociocultural perspectives. So I talk about race, class, gender, uh, sexuality. I talk about all that stuff. But I also teach AFAM, that's uh, African American uh, Studies. I also, you know, but at the same time, I've had so many people that came to my class that feel very comfortable in expressing their views, because at the, at the end of the day, we have to listen to one another. And what I would argue is that there are so many things that are in place to where we're not listening to one another. We're staying mm-hmm. in one vein as opposed to really listening, understanding, and saying sometimes, you know what, I don't necessarily agree with that, however... I understand that point. And that might give another thought. So mm-hmm. my question to you, which is nothing that you can answer right now, because that would take way too long, is how do, how do we fix this? How do, how do we move forward to where we're all listening to something to where it moves America and the country forward? Oh, huge, you know. Hey, I, that is a huge question. It so is. You tell me the answer to that. I, 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 I will begin the answer. It is part of a longer conversation. You're right. Um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go there and so you can listen. And let, let me talk about this. Um, because I get this a lot. In fact, I was on a podcast the other night. Pretty much asked me the same thing. The question from the caller is, how do we put this thing back together? People feel like the country's fraying. People don't feel safe to speak. Everybody's coming for everybody. Everybody's at each other's throats. So how do we, a nation of 330 million people, put it all back together and prevent a great divorce or something worse from happening? First, some historic perspective here. We are the most populous country on the planet without an autocrat in charge. And we have reached points in American history before where people thought, you know what? It's just too big. It's un, it's too unwieldy. One guy, one Congress, they can't control it all. Maybe we need to rethink. People give up on American democracy every eh, 40, 50 years or so. But there seems to be something more now, but uh, in historic perspectives, really not. What's different now is that we have social media where people can nurse their grievances far longer. A Joe Rogan story continues to go on. A Dave Chappelle story continues to go on. Uh, A story about the Biden crack pipes, uh, which they've now abandoned, uh, continues to go on in large part because social media allows us to perpetuate these things. I'm going to give you my honest advice and no one's going to take it. And that's okay but it is the solution to what ails us. And that is that people have to agree 
that each of us are allowed to exist in our communities of interest without others coming into those communities of interest and forcing their way upon us. If you want to live in a town where all the kids have to pray to start the school day, the one atheist kid coming in, filing a lawsuit, and having the court say, y'all got to stop that, shouldn't be allowed to exist. If you live in a town that wants drag queens to come into the local school and do drag queen story hour, and the local Christian objects and goes to court and says no, well, you should allow drag queen story hour to exist. The problem here is that you'll never stop drag queen story hour, but you've already stopped prayer in school. We should be allowed to exist in communities of interest that reflect our values. And us in our community of interest and someone in their community of interest diametrically opposed, doing our own thing, leaving each other alone, working for our better interest, actually together winds up ironically working for the interests of the whole. You have to decide, do you do it at the city level, the county level, or the state level? But beyond the state, the states are semi-sovereign entities. We have to agree to leave each other alone. And when your state doesn't like what my state does, your state has to exercise some humility in recognizing there are those who disagree and not boycott. And from my vantage point as a conservative, I I do believe uh, disproportionately because of the way corporate America aligns itself, a lot of times it's the progressives who impose their will on the conservatives and they got to cut it out. But there's more to it than that. conservatives have to recognize that we live in a fallen world and some people want to fall. You, you got to let people fall. If you don't like what California does. You don't have to live there. California should be able to impose itself on Georgia. Georgia should be able to impose itself on California. Sometimes you got to let people fall. Sometimes you got to let them hit rock bottom. And in the case of like San Francisco, they've hit rock bottom and they don't even realize it. But then there's something else. And this is more fundamental. You have to be willing to exercise more grace to other people than they exercise to you. You've got to be willing to turn the other cheek. You have to. It's necessary. You have to be able to let stuff go. In marriage, husbands and wives will oftentimes do things that deeply bother their spouse. And if you let it just fester constantly, you're going to ruin your marriage, and it's going to be on you for letting things fester. You can't let things go. If you think something was intentional, you got to work it out. But if it was just you got offended by something and and the other party doesn't even know it in the marriage, you've got to either work it out or you got to let it go instead of festering and brooding about it and hating. And then comes the great divorce. And we're at a point in this country where neither side can let the other side go. Neither side can exercise grace. Neither side can allow the other side to do what they want without getting offended. And so now you got people talking about the great divorce. 
And then there's something else. Sometimes you've got to let go of social media and turn it off and get out into the real world. You and I have a tendency on social media in particular to develop communities of like-minded people so we never have to consider the views of those with whom we disagree. And as a result, we forget that there's a difference of opinion out there. And sometimes, and this is happening a lot with the crazies out there these days, because they build a community of interest of other crazy people on social media, they become confused and think they're the majority. And will meet out their wrath on anyone else because they think they're the majority and they're not. And oftentimes the backlash is just as bad. Social media didn't exist in the prior eras when our nation was at each other's throats, when the people of this nation decided they didn't like each other. We didn't have social media. We actually had to get out into the world and meet each other. One of the things, by the way, one of the ways that you can actually get rid of this is going back to normal. Those companies that have shut down their corporate offices and allowed people to work remotely have allowed this to fester in a degree in that you don't have to be face-to-face -face anymore. So you can hate your coworkers too. You don't have to see them on a daily basis. You don't have to hug it out. You don't have to resolve it. You don't have to find common ground. You can seethe with resentment within a company. And then if you got a company that's progressive and, and uh, conservative, you got liberals and conservatives alike in your business, well, they don't have to interact with each other every day. And so they forget what the other person's like. And they can define that person far more easily by their political views than they can by their hangout time in the office where they realize they enjoy each other's company because they're not capable of doing it because the CEO won't let them for fear of a virus that's now an endemic virus, not a pandemic. The isolation of COVID has allowed us to divide. But then there's the last thing. And honestly, it's the hardest thing for most people. Stop worrying about Washington. You know what? Stop worrying about Atlanta unless you live there. If you live down in, I don't know, Moultrie, Georgia, stop worrying about Atlanta. If you live in San Diego, California, stop worrying about Sacramento. And if you live in El Dorado, Illinois, stop worrying about what happens in Springfield or Chicago. Seek the welfare of the city in which you live. Build your family there. Put down roots there. Be a part of your community there. Don't be a part of your community that is just you and your like-minded friends. Be a part of the community. Show up. When they need volunteers at the local school, show up. When they need volunteers at the food bank or the soup kitchen, show up. When they need money for the battered women's shelter, write the check. Be a part of your actual, real, physical, meaningful community. And then the hardest part of that is actually know your neighbor. A lot of us live in neighborhoods where it's real easy we don't have to ever know our neighbor. We don't ever have to go knock on the door and introduce ourselves and say, hey, I'm Eric Erickson. This is my house over here. If you ever need anything, if you're ever out of town, let me know. I'll make sure everything's okay. 
That's the hard part. Being real in your local community is more meaningful and more powerful, and actually it's countercultural. And in our culture today, it is most cultural for us to be aloof and removed from our immediate real community. It is most cultural for us to be vastly present in our entity of our choice, whether it's our church or our civic league, our rotary club or, or whatever club we're in, our, our flag football team, to be present there and absent everywhere else in our community. It is very cultural for us to be very present online and countercultural to be present offline. And you got to be countercultural. You got to be present. If you look around and you see you have no friends of different politics or a different race or different ethnicity, maybe you need to go find where those people are and see if you can get to know people outside your immediate sphere. We, as a society, used to know people, like really meaningfully know people. You didn't have to know 100 people, maybe just five or six people of diverse orientations and backgrounds and views, but you found common ground. We don't have to find common ground anymore. Your neighbor's a Democrat, you don't have to talk to him. You can go online and talk to your Facebook friends. You've perfectly curated them to either be people you're immediately close to, people you went to high school with, or people who agree with you on politics. And those on your Facebook group that don't agree with you on politics, you just ignore them anyway. Live in the present, in the real world, in your local community, turn off the news, and get involved. You want to put things back together? That's how you put things back together. Things fell apart because we abdicated our responsibility to our local community. We were allowed to divide because we stopped knowing people on the other side. Lord, now I'm rhyming. I should take a commercial break. But it's true. We've abdicated our responsibilities to reality for an online world of people who look and think just like us. And the world is far more complicated than that. But both sides also have to recognize we shouldn't be imposing ourselves on others and we should allow people of like-minded interest to live where they want to live and hang out with people they want to hang out with so long as we at least get to know each other. And in your like-minded community of interest, you would be surprised how many people actually disagree on a variety of things, but still get involved there. You work in your local area to improve it. Somebody else works in their local area to improve it. Pretty soon you've all improved your whole state. And when everybody does that in all 50 states, You've improved the nation, even as you disagree with each other. Hello and welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, a, a listener suggested I do something, and, and if I don't do it, it's not going to happen, and I think I have to be the one to do this with the Super Bowl coming up. If I don't pick up the mantle of the environmentalist wacko pick, I don't know who's going to. And with Rush Limbaugh not here to do it, I, I think I have to endeavor. It's going to be the Rams and the Bengals. It'll be the Rams and the Bengals. Cincinnati versus Los Angeles. But it's the Rams and the Bengals. Now, we've got to think about this because, you know, the Bengals, they're a fearsome animal. The stories of Bengal tigers when people drive through in open-air vehicles in parts of India and a Bengal tiger will come out and grab somebody off of it and eat them. The 
Bengals are fearsome animals. And the Rams, the Rams, they just got those horns. That they can, they could take it. They could, they could punch the Bengal, but the Bengal goes for the throat. So it, it makes sense from a purely environmentalist wacko standpoint that you would think the endangered Bengals would be the ones. But there's a problem. The Bengal Tigers, they reside in Southeast Asia, and even the environmentalist wackos, they don't like the Asians these days. The envi- they don't even want to let them into Harvard. Environmentalist wackos, no sorry, Bob, those Southeast Asians, they're polluters and they're too smart, too smart. So you probably have to go with the Rams. The Rams are also in Los Angeles. So they're not bigoted Asian Bengal Tigers either. They're open-minded, tolerant, free-spirited Rams. And that they're, they're going to populate the earth and they're not endangered. I mean, look, I, I understand the sympathies for the environmental wackos for wanting to go with the Bengal Tigers, that endangered species, a beautiful, ferocious animal. But they're from Southeast Asia and the environmental wackos. They don't like Asians these days for being too smart and big polluters. So I, I got to say, as much as I'm rooting for the Bengals because Joe Burrow's playing on the team, I think the environmentalist wackos would go with the Rams as the winners because the Rams will, I mean, they live in a city where every day is Pride Day and they're not those like super smart Asians who are polluting the world. So that's, I, I think the environmentalist wackos would settle with the Rams and they will probably win the Super Bowl if the environmental wackos are right. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.